Welcome to the Taylor and Jen podcast. Mornings with Taylor and Jen. There were uneaten stale donuts and Jen threw them away. I did because number one, they were stale, and number two, they were tempting me. If God made us all the same, it would be boring. All right. So, Taylor and I, we don't really understand this because neither one of us are like this. I wake up so easily Mm -hmm. before my alarm. Now, my sister and my brother, total another story. So, when my friend Tim was telling me this story of how he, as a incredibly hard sleeper, is impossible to wake up, I was feeling for his mom. (laughs) Tells a story of how he and his friend were having a sleepover. It was about middle school, and his mom knew how hard it was to wake him up. And his friend got caught in the fishnet with this one, because Tim and his friend, they're sleeping in this big old double bed, right, in this sleepover. Who knows when they fell asleep that night, but it was time for them to get up. So his mom went in the room, grabbed the comforter, yanked it all the way down, grabbed both of them by their ankles... Dragging them out of the bed. Whoa! And as they're both sitting on the floor, <laughs> blinking, waking up, Tim's friend looked at him and he was like, Your family is really weird. <laughs> There's one in your family, mm-hmm. and maybe it's you. It's that person. It's impossible to wake them up in the morning. I had an older brother. Uh, my dad would wake him up like three, four times every morning, mm-hmm. you know, to get ready for school. Mm-hmm. My dad got tired of it. And then upstairs, we had a full bath on the second level of our house, right next to his bedroom. Okay. And my dad would go in and get the coldest water he could find out of that tap and throw it on my brother. And he would wake up so mad. (laughs) Oh, he would put him in a bad mood all day. (laughs) Didn't mind that you were soaking the bed at all? Yep, he didn't care. It'd dry. It'll dry dry before bedtime tonight. Just keep the covers off. It'll be dry by the morning. (laughs) Do you have a heavy sleeper Hmm. in your life? You know, that person. It's impossible to wake them up in the morning. You have to go to crazy lengths just to get them to crack open their eyes at the crack of dawn. And we want to hear how that's done. Well, I have a brother and sister-in-law that are both heavy sleepers, which is a bad combination. Yeah. And my brother had dairy cattle. And so in the morning, he would set two different alarms to wake him up and have him on as high as they could go. And my 10-year-old niece would wake up and have to go in and wake up their dad <laughs> to turn off the alarm so she could go back to sleep at 5 in the morning. <laughs> oh, no! Oh, man. So we had two alarms and a daughter. Yes. <laughs> Heavy sleepers. Mm. I want you to know I admire you. I truly <laughs> do. I have never been able to sleep like that, not as long as I can remember. But getting you up, waking you up, is next to impossible. You have someone in your life who is a super heavy sleeper, Rachel? Well, it was actually, it used to be me when I was younger. Really? Okay. I would sleep through everything, and my dad was trying to fix our basement with a jackhammer. <laughs> and my mom's like, don't you do it. She's going to wake up. He goes, okay, I'm going to go downstairs, and if she wakes up, I'll stop doing it. So he went down and started chiseling, and he came up, and he, my mom's like, she didn't even budge. <laughs> you slept through a jackhammer! A literal yeah. jackhammer wasn't enough. I said that they, like, tried to stand me up and all that and couldn't get me to wake up, and they ended up getting a spray bottle, and that's mm-hmm. the only thing that could wake me up in the morning. Oh, my goodness, it's so easy to say. 
I will build margin in my life from now on. <laughs> I will make sure that there is a time every day that I carve some space out for me and for the Lord and to take a breath and to just not let anxiety get the better of me. Let's do it. And then yeah. you try to do it. <laughs> so, there's so many things that come up in a day. And before you know it, you're putting your head on your pillow and you're like, <gasps> something that has started making a difference in my life. Definitely not an expert on this. But where I've grown the most is when I've really tried to embrace the idea of a Sabbath. You mm. know that that one in the Ten Commandments? Yeah. Where God says, take an entire day and rest? Mm-hmm. That is so hard for me to do. We don't live in a culture that promotes that. And part of it for me is because I do carry the weight of the world on my shoulders. I place so many demands on myself of things that I should do for my job. Things I should do for my family, things I should do for myself, for my friends, for my this, for my that, for my everything. And they're all like, they're not bad things. No, they're good things. They're good things. But when I set myself up in a place where if I don't stop and take a breath, I'm worried that the plates are going to spin out of control. There's a pretty good chance I've confused myself with God. So, forcing myself to take a day and not do the things and waking up the next day and realizing, hey, <laughs> the sun came up. Things are still moving okay. Man, I feel seen. You almost have to put yourself out there and let God prove to you that he can hold your world in his hands. Okay, I know this is a bit of a shock, but I'm actually going to quote a line from a rom-com. What? You never do that. <laughs> no, there's a line in a in a romantic comedy that I like very much. And, and basically he says, eventually... One of the balls has to drop. The plates have to fall. Everything has to stop because you can't keep your world spinning all the time. Mm. Right. And it's it's true. I remember finding that out as a young mom. I felt like I had to keep everything going. I had to keep my job going. I had to keep my friends going. I had to keep my world going, my children going. And I kept telling myself over and over and over again. I'm the only one that can do this. Mm-hmm. I said that if I don't do this, nobody else will. And and I see you, mom, right now that's driving, you know, in your SUV, you're dropping off the kids, you're going to go run errands and you're going to go to work. And then at lunchtime, you're going to go pick up the dry cleaning and then you're going to go pick up the pet food and then you're going to make this appointment. And you're going to do all the stuff and then you're going to go home and you're going to make the dinner and you're going to get the kid to the rehearsal and you're going to. And, and I know I see you. I see you. And I know. But here's the thing. I remember feeling that way. And getting resentful. Mm. Now, maybe I didn't show it on the outside, but I resented the fact that I was the only one that could do it. Now, why was I the only one that could do it? Because I was the only one that did it. I never let anybody else Mm. step in and help. And the first time that I got sick, like I think I got the flu. Yeah. And I was out for three days. Mm. And the world kept turning. (laughs) I remembered coming out of my bedroom one day and going, oh, I was like, you don't need me. (laughs) Of course they need you, but they don't need you to do all the things. Mm. You're allowed to have time. And in fact, I think it's really important that you have time because if you feel that resentment building up 
it's time to stop. Yeah. And it doesn't just build up inside. Eventually, it's going to come out. Exactly. And then when Mama isn't happy, nobody's happy. Exactly. (laughs) They can't remember to take their lunch to school, but they can remember (laughs) that one time that you made a mistake. So my son, when he was in second grade, told me that he didn't feel good and didn't want to go to school. And I was like, nope, you don't have a temperature. You look fine. Go. So he went to school and on his way from his desk to tell the teacher he didn't feel good, he threw up and he threw up on his best friend's shoe. Oh, oh no! <laughs> the child is now 25 years old. And he still tells you about this. Every time I see him. <laughs> so from the parent who has now become a school nurse, please don't send your child to school when they don't feel good. I think you could classify it as selective memory. Ah, yes. And as a parent, you wish they wouldn't have selected that memory to remember. (laughs) And Anita is here with a memory that she is promising never to let go of. I was in third or fourth grade, and it was a Friday. And the next Friday was the 100th day of school. But my mom dressed me up on the Friday the week before. Oh, no. And so I went to school, and me and my cousin were the only ones dressed up as 100 years old. (laughs) A week early. Yes. So it was like the 95th day of school. Yeah. 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 And you are not going to let your mom forget that, are you? Not letting her forget that, huh? No. No. Never. (laughs) You will be 100 years old, and you will never let your mom forget that. (laughs) Did you dress up again on the real 100th day of school? No, I never. I never dressed up as 100 years old. I just wore a shirt that had 100 things on it. Oh, there you go. (laughs) That's great. I don't know how they can have such long memories because they're just (laughs) tiny little things. We have these kiddos, and they remember the mistakes that we make for the rest of their lives. And we want to know, what's that thing? You just did it once, one small mistake, but your child will not let you forget it. Honestly, I'm not even sure I can let myself forget. Oh. It's been almost 20 years. Oh, boy. So my daughter is almost 24. When she was in kindergarten, I picked her up, and she was in the line just to come out with all the kids, but she was crying. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, so-and-so said he had a magic trick and he said if I held my hand up in front of him he could make my thumb and my pinky do the split she said it didn't work very well and I hugged her and said oh I'm so sorry that happened and then we were like okay he's just naughty and then we kind of changed the subject she quit crying we moved on and she got into the bathtub that night her pinky all the way down to like almost her wrist was black. Oh, no. Yeah, it was. Well, let's not go black. It was like a light shade of gray. Oh, okay. That's not as bad. That's not so bad. She had a broken pinky and I shrugged it off. (laughs) You hugged her. I mean, mean, her hand just did the splits. It's not a big deal. The little boy, it was hilarious. He was adorable. And when we went back to kindergarten and like, of course, he found out her finger was broken and he had to look at her. He was her assistant. Oh. oh, and he got her a little <laughs> necklace and made her a card. I'm sure his mom was. Oh, that's so sweet. Oh, that's so and, you know, sweet. I don't know what he grew up to be, but whenever I saw him in his teen years, like he dodged me. <laughs> he dodged me every time. And I want to say, hey, no hard feelings. He had nine other fingers. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go out on a limb here and we're going to guess. That you have probably made a few mistakes in your life. You know. Maybe. Maybe a guess. Just a guess. You've probably made a few. And you would probably forget them. 
unless you're a parent and you have kids that never let you forget that one mistake that you made. I've got a story about my mom for you guys. Oh, good. We were making tacos and she put like the hard taco shells in the toaster oven to like toast them. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing either the timer was too far and so or she just kind of forgot about them and all of a sudden the smoke alarm started going off Oh! and the toaster oven was like smoking and everything so my dad being a firefighter he grabbed the toaster oven and like threw it outside <laughs> and my brother has not let her live this down she swears it's going on her gravestone <laughs> I mean it is pretty significant when your dad has to grab an appliance and throw it out on the yard yeah that's <laughs> once it comes to appliance hurling you know things have gotten serious. Appliance hurling. That's an Olympic event I would watch. It is, yes. The toaster toss. <laughs> you spit around like it's a discus and you hold it by the cord. <laughs> so I'm not sure it got the response that they were looking for. I think they might have been a bit surprised. I'm talking about Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Nickelodeon is celebrating the 25th anniversary of Blue's Clues. I mean, classic children's show. Exactly. And for their 25th anniversary, just in case you uh, have been, um, you know, under a rock or something and didn't know about this, for the 25th anniversary, they rolled out Steve. Now, Steve was the original host of Blue's Clues, and Steve had his, you know, little dog, Blue, Mm -hmm. but... Let's just say that a lot of us moms kind of grew up with Steve, Yeah, right? Well, and even like I didn't really watch the show growing up, but I saw him and it took me back. Yeah. You know, it, it's he's a nostalgic figure. He's uh-huh. a nostalgic face. Like there is a feel that comes from looking at Steve. When you're a mom, you grow up, you grow up with your kids. You, you kind of watch the same mm-hmm. shows that they do. So I watched a lot of Blue's Clues. In fact, Piper's first birthday was a Blue's Clues theme. Oh, wow. Right? So nobody prepared me for this. I didn't realize what was this a week or two ago when all of a sudden I open up my Facebook feed and there is Steve from Blue's Clues. And Steve from Blue's Clues comes out onto my little screen and he was like, oh, hi, there you are. And then he like gives a little pep talk about why he left the show and how he's doing really good. And look at you. Don't you look good? And all this other kind of stuff. And by the time Steve was done talking at me through my (laughs) little screen, I was sitting there going, "Ah!" (laughs) I think. I missed Steve. The best recap I saw of that was someone said, we really just had such a hard couple years that Steve from Blue's Clues said, all right, I got to address the nation. I'm not even sure if we knew that we needed a pep talk. But then last week, Nickelodeon unleashes Steve from Blue's Clues on all of us moms that raised our kids watching (laughs) Blue's Clues. And he gave us a pep talk and we were all like, thank you, Steve from Nickelodeon. That was wonderful. So now I I think what's important is for us to think of what other childhood fictional characters need to show up in our lives with a pep talk. And what would they say? It has to be Mr. Rogers. Oh, D from Leon. Of course it would be Mr. Rogers. Of course it would be. Of course it would be. And what would he say? I think he would just tell us that it's all going to be okay. Yeah, he would. And that we need to love each other, that, you know, we're part of the neighborhood. 
I think I'm going to cry. That's, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. I think I needed to hear that. <laughs> what do you need Mr. Rogers to say to you? Anything? Just anything. Anything he said Just would be fine. Make eye contact. Maybe a hug with that sweater on. Oh, D 100%. from Leon. You're 100%. brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> Her name was Emily. She was in eighth grade and I was in seventh grade when I moved into the neighborhood in Morgan Circle in Pennsylvania where I grew up. And uh, she was a year above me in school. I looked up to her. I thought she was really cool. So we started kind of hanging out together a little bit. But I noticed right away, you ha- you noticed it right away when you looked at Emily, that she had a big scar on her face. Mm. And it went from the bottom of her nose and it kind of pulled her nostril over a little bit towards her cheek. And then it went all the way up to her ear. Now, she was a very pretty girl, and after a while, after you'd spent a lot of time with Emily, you didn't see it anymore. Yeah. So, But we were new to each other. But you know you don't ask, no, right? No, no, no. <laughs> of course you don't What ask. happened to your face? Yeah, you don't, you don't ask. So I asked my mom, and my mom said, wisely, you know what? I don't really know the entire story. Why don't you go ahead and ask Emily? Nicely. You know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> So the next time I saw Emily, she told me the story. She and her dad, when she was very young, were flying in a little private plane. Her dad was the pilot and it crashed Mm. and they both walked away. But Emily had a scar on her face from getting a laceration and her dad had a limp. So when you would see Merle and Emily together, Emily and her dad, who she's very close to still is, you would see him limping and she had the scar, Mm. but they both walked away. And she's like, my dad protected me that day. He knew exactly how to land that plane in a way that we knew he would get hurt, but he also saved us. Wow. And yeah, sometimes when I looked at Emily, the scar wasn't there because she was just my friend. But sometimes I would look at that scar and I would think about what Merle, her dad, had done for her. And I thought it was the most beautiful thing in the world. You know what? They are scars. You probably have at least one. Maybe it's something silly, like I've got one on my finger from opening a can of cat food wrong. I have one on my elbow from when I dove to catch a ball in dodgeball. Yeah, okay. So there's those scars. And then there are those scars that have a beautiful story. My mom and I were in an accident, and once we stopped, I saw this big branch coming like it was falling but it was coming as almost like a swing Mm. and my natural instinct has always been a protector and so I put my right arm over her to guard her face Mm. otherwise that was going to hit her face and I still have this circular scar it's about the size of not quite the size of a 50 cent piece it Mm. pretty much almost penetrated my arm went through and not going to get misty when she passed away she always called me rosebud Mm. And I put a rosebud on top of it, so it looks like a rose on top of a plant. Mm. Oh. And then underneath the scar, I put, I miss you. Oh. And so when people see the scar, they kind of look and they'll ask, and then I'll tell them the story. Because that's a memory that I have. I'm, I never regretted doing that for her. She was my best friend. So now we have two songs here on Life 107.1 that are about 
Scars mm-hmm. in specific. There was the beautiful one called Scars by I Am They that I loved. And now there's a new one by Casting Crowns called Scars in Heaven. And, you know, scars indicate that there had to have been healing from something that happened, something bad. I think it's really cool as we have been able to look at our scars and recognize that there's beauty in them because they can be a memory of God stepping in. My scar happened about 20 years ago. I actually lost the tips of two of my fingers. Ooh. Ooh, how? In a car accident. Oh, wow. But I thank God for these scars because every time I look down at them, it reminds me that my girls are still alive mm-hmm. because they both were thrown from the vehicle. Oh, oh wow. But they're alive. They're well. They've given me grandchildren. Mm. And so I thank God every day. Wow. That's cool. That's amazing. Yeah. You've got that reminder to look down at all the time. Yep. That God is good. We're talking about scars. And they always have a story behind them. Sometimes it can be a silly story. But sometimes that story is beautiful. In 1985, that was quite a few years ago, um, I was uh, racing the uh, San Francisco Police Department, and I lost that day. Oh. I hit six parked cars doing about 100 in a 63 Impala, and I gashed my face open pretty good, and so did my my co-pilot, but the officer that got us out was so apologetic that he said, my goodness, come on, come on, I'm so sorry, let me get you and sit you on the curb right here, and you're safe, and he went to get my buddy out of the car and brought him over and set him on the curb, and this, again, was 1985, and in 2005, I was sitting at a church on Easter, and I'm sitting next to a guy, and I tell him how blessed I am. And he says, I know, Frank. I said, no, you don't understand, man. I did this. I did that. I hit six park cars doing 100 in 1985. And he goes, Frank, I was the officer that pulled you out of the car. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. blown away. Right now, the hair is standing up on the back of my neck. He says, Frank, I've been praying for you for 20 years. He said, I'm so glad you finally got it together. I was blown away. Oh, my goodness. Only God could orchestrate something that beautiful in my life, and I'm so grateful to be where I'm at today. You can learn a lot about people when snacks show up in the office. Oh, yes, you can. I mean, it was like a personality test when our friend Luann brought in a box of donuts. A dozen donuts from the brand new Hy-Vee and Grimes. And I realized we had just a bunch of different personality traits going on. Like Luann was the person who brought in the treats, sent out an email to the entire office in all caps saying there's donuts. But I don't think I ever saw her eat one. No, yeah, yeah. There's so there's the the provider, but not consumer. The provider. She's now, like the Italian mother. Hey, eat, and then she just sits over in the corner yeah. and drinks tea. I learned I'm the guy who just shows up in the kitchen and sees a box of donuts on the table and assumes this is probably for everybody. <laughs> I hadn't seen the email from Luann, so I just grabbed one. <gasps> you just took it. You didn't check to see what are these donuts. I, for? I mean, like I figured someone's not like, no, that's my lunch. I, I want 12 <laughs> donuts for lunch. Don't touch that. We do work with Logan. Well, okay. So maybe it was Logan's. <laughs> he didn't say anything. I don't think Bruce even acknowledged they existed. No, he does th- that. He, he's very healthy that way. He pretends like any of the snacks that come into the kitchen, he pretends like they're not there. And then, In fact, of all of us, have you noticed that Bruce rarely goes into the kitchen? I don't, I don't think he's ever been to the kitchen. I think I live in the kitchen. Does he know where the kitchen is? <laughs> And that tells you about our office. 
And then who threw them away? That was you. I did! There were uneaten stale donuts and Jen threw them away. I did because number one, they were stale. And number two, they were tempting me. (laughs) There's a lot of things in the world that reveal Mm. parts of your characteristics. The deep down hidden ones. One of them is when somebody brings a snack or a box of snacks to the office kitchen for consumption. It brings out your personality. So we just want to learn more about you. What is your office snack personality? I'm the bringer. Oh, you're yeah. our Luann. And what's wonderful is that I get credit when other people bring them. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a reputation now. Yeah. And there's one person in our office that I could even be on the phone or I'm talking to somebody and he runs by and goes, thanks for the snacks. And I'm thinking, I don't want to lose eye contact with who I'm talking to, but I'm thinking, hey, Carrie brought those. <laughs> no, seriously, think about it. Okay, when snacks show up in your office break room or the teacher's lounge or even your kitchen table, those snacks bring out different personalities. And we just want to know what is your office snack personality? I'm the baker man. I bake banana bread mm. and then I bring it out to the front area because we deliver a lot of car parts. You know, so I enjoy myself. If I want a piece or two, I'm going to get it. There's always plenty. You can see some different personalities when the snacks come, you know? Yeah, Yeah. what do you see, Frank? Well, one of my bosses kind of said, hey, could you stop bringing donuts? And (laughs) I called the donut police. It it was bad. Why did your boss want you to stop bringing donuts? He says he's gaining weight. Oh, you can't prove those are connected. No, that's what I'm saying. That's just circumstantial. So I backed off a little bit. You know, instead of bringing two or three dozen, I just brought one. (laughs) That's good. That's much healthier. You're so kind. The Taylor and Jen podcast is a product of Northwestern Media, a ministry of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can hear more from Taylor and Jen weekday mornings online at life1071.com or on the Life 107.1 app.